Third down three from the 37th. Dale to the right, McGee to the left, star dropping straight back, hit as he throws, has the ball. by McGee, who uh, you might say uh, had no business catching the ball. Actually, it wasn't uh, too well thrown. McGee made a great stab, though, uh, and the defensive man there, I'm sure, thought that McGee had no chance to get it. Minus three with Dave Damaschek and Jeff Schwartz. Do it, fellas. Hi and hello, sports fans. Hope all's well wherever you are. Of course it is because we have a dandy weekend of hot sports action coming at you, punctuated, of course, by the two title games on Sunday. But so much to kibitz about. Joining us in just a bit to help break down the NFC title game. Of course, uh, Brady V. Rogers and a bunch of other fellas, too, will be out there in Lambeau Field. T.J. Lang, he played with those Packers and, of course, the Lions, too. Looking forward to kibitzing with him. And, of course, as always, we are presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. Tune in all season long for exclusive offers and odds boosts. FanDuel, more ways to win. I love that the two home games, it's almost an homage to us because the spread on both games Minus three, of course, that's the standard advantage that the home team gets in any football game. And so appropriately, we welcome you to the title game edition of Minus Three. What's the poop with you over there, Jeff Schwartz? How you doing, fella? I'm good. I'm just determining whether you and Max McGee are the same age. I was looking it up, and it seems very close. So um, I'm glad what you chose a, an appropriate appropriate name for the I wasn't alive when Max McGee did it, but I do have to say again for the millionth time. We do not honor him nearly enough. The man went on a twister, you understand. The eve of the first Super Bowl, he goes on a twister. So little respect for the AFL representative, Kansas City Chiefs, that he goes on a bender, walks in, they tell him, oh, yeah, you got to play today um, in an age when only two wide receivers ever touched the field for a team. And then he goes out and he catches two magical touchdown passes thrown behind him. The world is spinning to him. The ball is behind him, and he was able to wrangle it and uh, and carry it across the goal line to glory. I don't think we honor that well, deep nearly well, enough, Schwartz. Well, we can honor it when these two teams meet again in the Super Bowl. So we can yeah, honor oh, that plenty. Starting off high, Schwartz is telling he's pulling the curtain back. But Spoiler I'm, alert. I'm I'm good, man. Look, it's it's uh, definitely um, you know getting to the end of the season feels. It feels different this year. Normally, at the end of the season, I'm so exhausted from work. I'm just, like, ready for it to be over and go on vacation, which I'm doing at some point in, at the end of February, and just take a break from football. But because we didn't have sports from, like, the middle of March to, like, the end of July, I still feel shorted. I feel like I did not get my full football fix. Even though we've had every NFL game, but the Pac-12 conference that I cover, obviously, only had half their season. So it feels... It feels like I'm not ready to give up football yet, and partly too, because are you go- you're not going to Tampa for Radio Row, right? There's no Radio Row this year. I don't think There's there no is media. such a so thing. Yeah, that is exhausting. That whole week is exhausting in the city you're at for the Super Bowl. Last year, Miami, it's just exhausting. This year, we don't have that. So, like, I, I feel weird. The-, the season's coming to an end. I feel um, not as much joy because I'm going to miss football a lot more this year than maybe I had in the past. But these games this weekend are going to be great. So I'm excited to watch them. 
I hear you. And all I can advise you to do is to really start, and I mean it, start watching hockey. The NHL season is juicy. It's so good. 56 games. You only play your division foes. You do not play outside the division. It creates a great sense of rivalry. It's very, uh, as I said on Extra Points the other day, it feels very much like it used to when you watch college football where Big Ten teams only play Big Ten teams, and then it defined the style because you have to keep up with the neighborhood. You have to keep up with the Joneses, so then everybody plays the same brand of ball. And then only come bowl season do you start to see, wonder how this brand of ball matches up with the way they're doing things uh, out west or down in Florida or otherwise. It's, it's a compelling season, so tune into that. College basketball heating up. NBA, but let's keep our eye focused for now, for this show um, on pro football, because we only have three precious games left to go here. And as far as I'm concerned, title game weekend over Super Bowl weekend by a million. So let's dig in there and call me, you know, a simpleton or overly simplistic in how I view this title game weekend. You can make a reasonable claim that this is the best collection for collection quartet of quarterbacks that title game weekend has seen in the Super Bowl era. Now I have not gone through it, but a lot of people have hit me up on social media. I guess I really should look at it and do the math on that to see if that's actually correct, but it's gotta be pretty close. Um, Brady V Rogers, Josh Allen, the runner up to MVP playing Mahomes who, you know, you could make a case could have won a couple of MVPs and really a couple of Super Bowls. There is so much at stake for the legacies of this, and I don't care if you don't get into it, if you're some football curmudgeon who harumps at the notion that that how many rings a quarterback wins. Of course it matters. In playoff games, these are the games that matter. Of course it matters who wins them. It does matter. Phil Rivers retires. The debate about his Hall of Fame status, a lot of it is in question because he never got to a Super yeah. Bowl. And that leads me to this, Schwartz. I want to get your thoughts on this. I don't think it's insane. Patrick Mahomes was anointed, much like Aaron Rodgers was a decade ago. Aaron Rodgers, I said, during the 2010 season, before he gets to his one and only Super Bowl, I said, this guy is going to retire. Hear me now, believe me later, is going to retire as the greatest quarterback of all time. And people laughed at me and said, what are you talking about? Why? Because he, he throws it, uh, he, he can throw it far? And I said, no, you're not watching him enough. He's the most talented guy ever. He gets to the Super Bowl. He wins it, and you figure, well, he's going to win. Well, now it's a matter of how many is he going to collect after that one. And kind of like Dan Marino, except that he actually got one Lombardi, did Rodgers. Now here's Mahomes. He has one. He has the monkey off his back. He is now not going to be Dan Marino. However, I can cobble together a, a case that Mahomes doesn't get it because now here's Josh Allen and two is in Miami, and who knows, maybe Deshaun Watson's going to be in Miami, or maybe Deshaun Watson's go to Indianapolis. And and all of a sudden, I and Justin Herbert's in his own division. I can create a path where Mahomes, like, okay, he's great, but now there are guys at least as good as him. How say you? I think it's important, in other words, he vanquishes yeah. Josh Allen, gets to this Super Bowl, and then sort of um, forges – an unbreakable sort of yeah. early in his career. If he plays in two Super Bowls this early on, it's like, what are you going to say about Mahomes? And he yeah, really I, has a case. I think that um, people wrongly believe it's easy to win Super Bowls because Tom Brady has done it for so long, right? 
when you look at the, the history of quarterbacks who've won multiple Super Bowls, I think it's a eight guys have done it. I think eight, have seven maybe. I don't know what it is off the top it, of my it, head, it's, but yeah. It's, it's somewhere around there. Like It's not a lot of quarterbacks that have won multiple Super Bowls. You know, Eli has two, I believe. Um, Plunkett has, Plunk, right. has two. Star, Bradshaw, Greasy, Brady. It's just like not a lot. Payton. Uh, Payton. So like it's not a lot of guys have won multiple Super Bowls and, and like it's it's hard to do and to just think it's going to happen because the Chiefs are playing good football I think is naive I think the Packers are the best team in the NFL right now Aikman Montana well. Packers and, yeah I'm with you uh, so it's just it's just hard to assume it's going to happen especially now where it does seem that once you get past that rookie deal for your quarterback. If you're not Tom Brady, it's hard to win when you pay your quarterback $50 million a year. Now the cap keeps going up and they're going to have a new TV deal and whatnot, but it's just hard. It's hard to do it. And I agree with you. It, while the chiefs have all these guys in their roster, try to win as many as you can. And I know they're trying to, obviously. Um, I think the pressure squarely this weekend is on Aaron Rodgers, though. And we'll talk to a lot about that with, uh, with TJ Lang as well. Um, you know, to go to the NFC championship game again, uh, to play at home again, um, no, excuse me, for, excuse me, for the first time as, as an NFC Championship game. He has not played at home yet. Got blown out last year. Got blown out in Atlanta in 2016. Um, there's a lot riding. He's a favorite. This team is playing really well. Uh, he's got to win this game for his legacy. I, I People, I, I, I the, the curmudgeons like to get into that. Like, <laughs> 60 minutes is going to decide what Aaron right? Yes, that's how history yeah, works. Correct. Correct. This is these are these are the games that matter. What he did in mid October, um, you know, against the Texans, it, it does not resonate nearly as much as what happens in the title game against the you know goat. But I think if Rodgers beats Brady here, and I know he's forty three, Brady and everything else. First of all, what Brady has done, I don't. I just don't think you can. Um, sing enough songs about it. It is crazy. I don't know how the New England-based football fan feels about it. And, you know, I'm of two minds on it because if you talk about 60 Minutes, the most recent 60 Minutes that we saw with Brady, you know, they win that game and it's amazing that Tom Brady leaves after all those years and all the glory up there with Belichick and then he comes down in his first season and now he's playing in the NFC title game. Flips over to the other conference. You can't say... Oh, he's in, look at the division he's in and all that kind of stuff. He's a wild card team. These are two road games. Here comes a third one. He doesn't have to do anything. It's remarkable what he's done at 43. But in that game down there in the Superdome, you know, Tyler Johnson makes an amazing catch to keep that drive alive. And if it doesn't go that way, you, you know, maybe the Saints uh, get the ball and, and, and they take the lead. Or uh, Brady almost throws a pick. He almost threw a pick six yeah. to Marshawn Lattimore. If that happens and everybody's like, father time wins, Brady caught up with him. Instead, it's all about Breeze and see the writing's on the wall and it's time for him to go away. I completely get that argument. But I also think if Aaron Rodgers gets this one and he has two Lombardis, he can rightly claim I'm the greatest of all time. On the other hand, Patrick Mahomes goes and plays Aaron Rodgers. It's such a fascinating matchup. And I oh, hope yeah. the Bill it would be cool if the Bills would win the Super Bowl. But if they get to the Super Bowl and don't win it, I don't know that that's as as great a matchup. Let's just root for Super Bowl one. That's the bottom line. I think I'm, it's the best one. And their favorites, both teams are favorites uh for a reason. And 
Yeah, we're gonna spend a lot of time talking to TJ about yes. about the Packers game, but you know, real quickly, like I think the Packers win this game going away. Going away. At, yeah. If you look at the way they're playing, I think they're just playing some really good football right now. Uh, we saw them dominate a Rams defense that is the best pass defense in the NFL, and Tampa doesn't stop the pass, not even close to what the Rams do. And yeah, Tampa stops the run very well, but that doesn't feel very important in 2020 to stop the run because Aaron Rodgers will just tear you up if you stop the run. But more importantly, Tampa's offense against winning teams this year has been uh, really aided by turnover. So if you look at the two wins they have this year against teams with a winning record, Green Bay and New Orleans, right? They've, they're plus six in turnovers, Dave. Plus six. Like, they scored 35 points off turnovers in those two games. You know, I'm not going to force a bunch of turnovers in this game. And so if, if these teams just play straight up, straight up, I got the Packers winning and covering this game by 10 to 14 points. That feels heavy to me, but I, would, I guess I wouldn't be completely floored by that. I'm with you. I think that they do win by, let's say, a touchdown, and I won't go much beyond that. I'm with you there. Let's jump to the AFC side and focus on that for for right now, and then we'll get to TJ Lang for the NFC side, and then Spaghetti and Meatballs, our hockey corner, Ooh, yeah. with Spaghetti and Scolzi coming up in just a little bit. But the AFC side, and before we jump in um, on the game, one, Phil Rivers retires. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it because we have nothing but uh, real estate in front of us after football season. Hall of Fame, yes or no? No. 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 I, to my eye, he's a Hall of Famer when I watch him and his deeds over the course of the years. I just think that the voters aren't going to put every guy who was productive over the last 20 years at QB into the Hall of Fame. And the idea, it's like, well, but he's, but he's fit. He's fit in passing yards. Yes, but now he's retired. But it's going to keep other guys, Stafford and Ryan and yeah. Roethlisberger, are going to surpass that. And then it's like, hey, he's 10th all time. It's okay, now he's gotten pushed down. Now he's like Kerry yeah. Collins when he retired was like whatever he was, a 12th or whatever. Nobody yeah. so talked he, about that. Yeah. So here, here's my concern with some of these stats now is that as players are, are playing longer, right, with the with the advances in medicine and, and the way they're, they're training and the way they eat now – is we're going to have a lot of guys that compile a bunch of stats, right? Rivers has played 244 games, started 240 in a row. That's fantastic. But it feels like a stat compiler, right? Like a, guy, like a bunch of yards, great. It's all great. But people often say that, can you talk about the history of the NFL without said player? And those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. I can explain what happened the last 15 years without Phillip Rivers besides the, the draft day trade, right, that happened in 2004. Otherwise, and again, Great competitor. I Obviously, his teammates loved him. He battles ass off. I love watching him play, even though I keep thinking his arm is going to fall off the way he throws the ball. But, like, he's not a Hall of Famer. He's not. And we talk about quarterback wins as being not a thing. It definitely matters to the Hall of Fame. Qu quarterback wins and how your team does matters to the Hall of Fame. And I just – I don't – he might get in, Dave, like the last couple of years, but I can't imagine him getting in any earlier than, like, his 10th year on the ballot. I'm giving you, you have one vote to use. You can give it to either Phil or to Eli. Who do you give it to? Eli. You have to, Eli. He, he's a two-time Super Bowl MVP. Like, I think it matters how, you can, and you can talk about the, the offense, I mean, the, the defensive line, the defense, but when it mattered those two years, Eli played really well. And look, is it Phil Rivers' fault he didn't win a Super Bowl? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But in the end, I think that, I think it matters how you play on the biggest stage. 
And and Eli did that. And I don't think he won a playoff game otherwise, right, Eddie? Like he didn't. I, I don't think he won a playoff game outside those just two those, years. Just those Wait two a rounds. Second. Yeah. Wait a second. I think Eli. I, I bet Spaghetti thinks that Eli should get to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I? Say, well, I don't understand that. Why is it that <laughs> a lot I of think, people think he shouldn't? I don't think Eli Manning going to the Hall of Fame is a debate anymore. I think if you want to debate Rivers, sure. I think Eli's a done deal. Sorry. Really? You think that I, I, I'm surprised that when he retired, Phil Rivers, that the collective opinion that I saw on social media was like surefire Hall of Fame. Like, really? Surefire. I don't, I don't no. know. About, I'm not I'm not denigrating him. But look at Matt Ryan's numbers. Who's going? One guy has an MVP. One guy played in the Super Bowl. The other. Right. I, I, I think people are being Matt Ryan is going to be is going to be the first guy who is a like kind of a stat compiler sort of guy played forever that we're going to debate. I, I think he's, I think Matt Ryan has a good case to be in. I mean, look, the, the, the stat compiler, we can argue about this. is Frank Gore. I mean, Frank Gore, we, I think we talked about this before. Yeah, we did talk um, about him, right? Like, I just think that some of these guys with stat compiling, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting discussion when it becomes hall of fame time. Eli has a great case because people love him. Like that's a big part of this too, right? Is that if you are beloved, you have a much better chance of getting in. And so is Philip Rivers. I mean, I think both probably get in at some point. Eli probably gets in first. I don't know, man. Just start adding them up. And it's like, or is it just going to become a QB wing? They're going to have to start to monitor that for the integrity. If that's a thing uh, for the pro football hall of fame. It's like at some point it's going to, they're, they're going to look at it in whatever a decade or thereabouts when you have Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Maybe Eli, definitely Roethlisberger, um, and a, a, a definitely Russell Wilson, definitely Aaron Rodgers. When you start to get mm-hmm. into that, like, well, this can't, this thing can't be devoted to quarterbacks. I, I'm with you. It's, it's, it's going to be a lot. So I think there's only thirty something quarterbacks in there now, right? There's not like a, it's not a huge wing of quarterbacks. So that would be a strike against both Rivers and Eli's. That um, you know, and I think people, I think Big Big Ben's easily in, in my opinion. I think oh, come on. Will, in my European, it's not a debate. Well, that's the one that's not debatable. Why is Eli debatable and big? They have the same amount of, of rings, and and Eli played a lot better in the playoffs. Consistent consistency of performance over yeah. the course of career. What are you talking about? Why? And I could, are, and I could argue that Eli had no one on offense. Look, look what Phil Rivers had on offense. Look what Eli had on offense. And ben Eli Roethlisberger got it done. is so far superior to Eli Manning. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not, debating, I'm not debating Big Ben. I'm not debating Big Ben. Ben, but you, I said, you, you just said, why would I say that Big Ben's a lock and Eli is? Well, yeah, I don't get the one is way better than the other. How they have the same amount of rings, and they okay, and then like, you did want to debate it. And the stats, Ben's, Ben's stats aren't going to get much better than what he has now. He's trash now. His stats are going to go down too once he retires. So it's like, uh, here's a stat: never, never had a losing season. At some point in the quarterback league, it matters that the guy who was the quarterback for that team never had a losing season. I just think that? it's I think it's insane to be like Ben's totally fine, but Rivers Eli, who, who know, like one guy has two SB uh, MVPs, like Jeff just said, but Rivers with Hall of Famers on offense with LT and Antonio Gates, like he can't get it done. Off the uh, top of my head, Roethlisberger also played in two other title games. He played in the third Super Bowl. I mean, I, what are we talking about? All right, now listen. Well, I do want to say one day. thing before. I just want to say one more thing about the Steelers because we are a Northeast podcast and people care about the Steelers and I am one of them and the, the, the it, troubled times. But one thing that people must remember, first of all, the Steelers went 12 and four. I know that 
low expectation results in Cleveland fan, fans feeling like they won the Super Bowl. They did not. They beat the Steelers, though, head-to-head, and I know it's cause for celebration and good for you, Cleveland. In Pittsburgh, the standard is higher. I get it. But they still did go 12-4. and four. This thing about burn it all down, the local media and otherwise, burn it all down. Roethlisberger's got to go. I advocate that we are in an era of full QB saturation. There are plenty of good options. At the time of this recording, Dwayne Haskins paid a visit to Pittsburgh. They, uh, their other guy, Deshaun Watson, could get traded. Matthew Stafford could. Dak Prescott could move, for all we know. Plus, all those guys in the pipeline come the draft. Still, there is no practical way when they're 19 or when they're 20-ish million dollars owed to Roethlisberger, if he retires today, around that. You do not get Deshaun Watson. Stop talking about that foolishness. That's not going to happen. And if your big dream is, well, let's get Mac Jones. First of all, at 24, you have there is no certainty Mac that Jones, Mac, Mac Jones, Jones is there Mac for you. Jones, you don't want Mac Jones. And Kyle Trask, what are people talking about? You, well, you don't want either one of those. Go get I Sam agree. Darnold or something. Exactly. Now, if you want to talk about try to get Sam Darnold, whatever. That's something. But this thing about, like, they got to burn it all down and they got to move Roethlisberger. Here's the problem. Like, what people are saying, they need a good 5-11 uh, and 11 season so they can draft the QB. Like, here's why that can't happen. Do you remember two years ago they went eight and eight yeah, with Tom, Doc Hodges? Tom is too good of a, he's too good of a coach. Look, it's same as Belichick going seven nine this year. Like, That's right? They're just too good of a coach for a team to be two and fourteen. Stop this jive! Stop jiving yourselves! What do you think? What, what, what's that conversation go like, Pittsburgh? Hey, Cam Hayward, I know it's your eleventh season and you're kind of like borderline now, tracking to the Hall of Fame, maybe a little bit, or at least you're uh, a great player here. Listen, you got to lay down this season, though, because we don't want to win too many games. Yeah, T.J. Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick, I know you're in your primes, but lay down. Don't don't play well this year. Right, we, it's we, not we can't, like, I mean, the defense is too good, so so stop this nonsense. I don't know what the answer is exactly other than Roethlisberger getting off the books, but that's a year away at best. So settle down, everybody. I think whether you like it or not, Roethlisberger is probably going to be the QB for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and that's not terrible news with that defense and presumably an enhanced offensive line, and I don't think the sky is falling if Roethlisberger at 39 is the QB. To get off of that now, let's talk about the other issue, and it relates to Kansas City, and that's why is Eric Bieniemy not being hired? Jeff Schwartz. I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have a great answer. Um, I, he's interviewed with basically half the league the last three years. I, I don't know why. Um, I, I know people have said, um, you know, the obvious reasons why, and maybe that is part of it. I'd be naive to say it's not, but I don't, I don't have a great answer Dave. People have asked me, this, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you guys. I, I, I don't have a great answer. I don't know why he's not hired. Um, all right. Well then he will be on the sideline in arrowhead by hook I mean, or by I mean, What's your reason why? I don't have a reason why. I don't, I, reason I, I don't, why. Ha- I don't have a reason. I don't know if people are able to divine something of, of like, you know, the Andy Reid thing, I would always look at that with a specious eye. I mean, it's like when I moved to, yeah, to yeah, Los Angeles yeah, 20 but, years ago. Yeah, but the problem with the Andy Reid thing, though, is that his other coaches go there. His other coaches get jobs. Like Sean McVay's coaches get jobs. Like the, the thing about, oh, Andy Reid calls the plays, so therefore we can't hire Biennemi. Well, so did Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy. Like they didn't call plays either. I so, agree, but I'm, say, I'm saying that there could be a Belichick type effect of like, Man, when we hire the guys underneath Andy Reid, they ain't exactly um, 
really doing a great job. Like Matt Nagy. They, they are and, though, but they do do a good job. I mean, all his coaches, if Ron Rivera is one of his guys, like there's a long list of coaches that he's had under him. That yeah, but Rivera somewhere. was a defensive coach. I'm talking about like if you were oh, on his oh, offensive, offensive staff, then I could see like it's kind of, that I could see you doing the here's here's the thing I would say about it is when I got out to Los Angeles in the uh, you know entertainment industry and everything, it was um, they were just, like Seinfeld was ending and Friends was ending and all the writers on those staffs we're getting these multi-million dollar so-called development deals. Like, Hey, you were on the yeah. Seinfeld staff. Um, and that was a great and wildly successful show. Here's a million dollars for the, ne- here's several million dollars yeah. for the next couple of years, develop more shows for you. I think that's a questionable logic. Even if you're Larry David, like how many great ideas do you necessarily have? It's timing and all that to some degree. Russell Wilson wins the Super Bowl in the right place, right time. Could you drop him into any situation? Would that happen? I don't know. Um, It gets to be another thing, though, when it's like, wait, the guy who was the story editor on in season seven of Seinfeld, like he's going to definitely develop the next big hit sitcom. Like, I don't know that that's going to happen. It's like Matt Nagy, like, eh, I don't know. Doug Peterson, eh, now it's more like, well, it was yeah. more Frank Reich than it was him. I could see the attrition of that and it kind of being like, are we sure we want to take another uh, a shot on another guy when it feels more yeah, and more but, like a Dandy Reed who's making all the big decisions? But you know, the, the issue that I have with some of this, though, is that like, how is Dan Campbell more qualified than Eric Bieniemy to be a head coach? Well, he's not. I mean, that's why I think it's shady that there's some that the, the, the questions loom about what's going on with with Eric Bieniemy. I I I'm I'm just providing you the devil's damnashek of well, I know. how I, I just, could see I just a don't team get it. explaining like, it. I I I don't. I I know I know. There's a lot of discussion about about you know the the race factor in this, and I'd be naive to ignore that, obviously. But I I I can't speak on that. I mean, I'm, I you know what I mean like I I listen to people that are more in the know um, about those subjects. And I just listen to them and see what they have to say about it. What am I going to say about it? All right. Let's talk about the, uh, the matter at hand, Sean McDermott having a, uh, a little underrated run, actually four years, three playoff appearances now in the title game. A lot of questions about Josh Allen coming into this season. Um, now he's got a great shot. And I think that the number one thing is for all the concern about Patrick Mahomes, concussion or he got the Vulcan death grip or something like that on his shoulder and it made him pass out or whatever the hell happened there and I do wonder if the Buffalo Bills are now meeting with martial arts people to figure out is there a place that you can pinch on Patrick (laughs) Mahomes neck that makes him pass out like that or something because it doesn't appear that he was concussed properly my concern is the toe he's limping around and this year more than the last two years, he's been burning teams on third downs with his legs. And if that's not there for him, then that gives at least a little bit of an advantage to the Bills. Um, any insight on that from what you hear from uh, Brother Mitchell or otherwise well, in the from, Chiefs organization? I mean, not from he doesn't tell brother, you anything. Not, not even now. You're like, come on, Mitchell. Give me. Uh, I've not talked to him about Pam Holmes. He's not there. I mean, he's just, he's doing the thing he's doing for him. So I, I agree with the tone thing. To me, the toe is more of a concern than the neck or head, whatever it is. I mean, obviously, the Chiefs are playing. He was listed as a full participant yesterday at practice before they realized that was you can't list him as a full in the concussion protocol. Um, He's playing. So the toe is a concern. We saw in the game this weekend, 
where he just, you know, when he got his toe hurt, he just didn't move the same, didn't throw the same. Um, I, I will say that the thing that, that if the Chiefs play their A game, they win. It's plain and simple. Um, but still, there's little moments in the games where I don't quite, you know, they, 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 they get lucky with the fumble out the back of the end zone. They go down and score a field goal, 19 to 3. Baker gets the ball at the half, throws an early interception. Chiefs had a chance to end the game right there, right? When 26 to 3, game over. They go three and out and miss a field goal. Like they have these instances all year where they just don't put teams away. And against Buffalo, I feel like you just can't do that. So I hope this killer instinct that they've lacked until the end of games, right? Fourth down, Chad Henney, killer instinct, great. Go for it. They But like, I want to say in the third quarter. So you don't get to the point in the fourth quarter, you have to make a fourth and one conversion to salt the game away. I, I well, your concern that now is what seven weeks old or whatever it is yeah. now. It's like this thing of like they're just not. They like this has gone on for too long now. Their teams are hanging around on them, good and bad. The Browns hung around on them, and maybe ascribe that to like yeah, they would have they would have gotten up double digits if Mahomes doesn't get hurt. I think maybe, so. but I, I, I think so. I think so too. But. But you could have easily um, made the case that it should have been 16-10 at halftime if it balls and football at the back of the end zone. I think the difference in this one is, and we, you know, I, I love to talk about what you actually need versus what everybody announces. Um, gotta have it. You want to get playing the Super Bowls, you're gonna be doing these, you gotta have this and that. I think what you need to have is a guy like the honey badger. And I think the oh, honey yeah. badger, I love Josh Allen and what he can do. But you always talk about you announce it. it uh, it's amazing how your timing with it too. When you announce, uh, he, Josh Allen's about to have one of his YOLO moments. He has one every game oh, at yeah. least. Like he has that against the Honey Badger, and that could be the difference in the game because I don't see a ton. I know that they've got some playmakers on the back end there, the Bills, but I feel like that's the part where the Chiefs are going to beat the Bills out. I think that. They're going to, that, yeah. that, that's what kind of makes me feel like, yeah, I know the Bills and they can make some hay offensively, but they're going to have a turnover or two difference versus the Chiefs. And that's what's going to ultimately kill them. The Chiefs defense is really fascinating to me because they're, they're good at one thing that's defending the deep pass. They're really good at that. I could pull up the stats here that I have on defending the deep pass, but. They're really good. That's why I like the under this weekend, by the way. Um, you know, like they're 23rd in DVOA. Um, but you know, they're they're fourth in passer rating against deep passes, third in completion percentage. So, so they do some things well, but they're dead last in the red zone, too, on defense. Like I I they seem to just step up at the right moments. And this is why I sort of do worry as a Chiefs fan that maybe this is the game where they just the defense plays like they're 23rd, which is totally possible. And they allow. 35 points, and the Chiefs' offense stalls out a couple too many times. They lose the game. Even though I think that the, the Chiefs are better, like, I keep waiting for these things to happen, and they haven't. So maybe I should stop worrying about it. But that's my concern on defense is, like, yes, Honey Badger had a great interception against Baker Mayfield, but if you take away that fumble out the back of the end zone, that game is different. It, it totally is. And I, I think Josh Allen in, in the first game was didn't play very well in that first game. Um I just think this game is going to be very close. I think that out of the two games this weekend, this is the one we could see the upset in. Um, I, I Again, I maybe I'm just being a worry ward as a Chiefs fan, but I, I just think there's some reasons for concern if you are back in the Chiefs. I Well, so we both have given our picks that we think that the Packers um, – 
get past the Bucks and the uh, and the three points there. I, I just think the crushing there's potentially crushing pressure on Rodgers in the sweepstakes of who's the greatest quarterback of all time, and as much as that's on his mind and wanting to get over the hump in that regard and get a second ring and all that. That notwithstanding, I like the. I'm going to stay away from the totals on both games because the weather. As we just saw again, it just impacts things, and I don't know what it's going to be for the game, and so I'm just going to avoid um, the totals on these games. But I'm going to take the Packers like you, and then I'm with you. I'm going to take the Chiefs here. The other thing to watch out for is this Butker business is <laughs> from 33 it, yards, man. He can't. He cannot. He can't keep having this jive. This, it's, this it's, missing dude, kicks it's, is not good in playoff games. It's only from 33 yards. It's the PATs and the field goal. Attempts. It's crazy. He makes a 50 yarder like nothing. It's weird. It is weird. But I. But speaking of the weather, come on, football gods. Let's make this a grand one. We don't got domes on these things. I shame the devil and Kurt Warner. We got let 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 the skies open. Let it snow. Let it be frigid. <laughs> Rain if you want. I don't care. I'm not going to be, be picky awesome. about it. Just give us some mud and some muck and some mire. That'll be great. All right. Let's get to uh, someone who I'm sure can relate to all that. Let's talk some more weather and beyond with T.J. Lang. Okay, here he is. He's a Super Bowl champion from Super Bowl 45, of course, when his Packers vanquished the Pittsburgh Steelers, number 52 and number 50 at Eastern Michigan, then number 70 for the Packers, then number 76 for the Detroit Lions. Here he is. It's TJ Lang. What's happening, fella? Guys, how you guys doing? Great. Hey, is this the best weekend in sports coming up, or was last weekend the best weekend in sports? Hmm, I'm going to go two weekends ago Ooh. and I'm gonna, I, I don't like I want to actually I, I'm glad you bring that up because I do want to dig in with you about the playoff structure and whether or not it's exactly fair and the Packers earned a buy but did another team should I, I let's talk about the nature of home field shall we TJ Lang yes why is it that we always talk about like, oh, it could be snowy up in Lambeau. Good luck, Tampa Bay. But all the guys on the Packers don't want to play in the cold either. True or false? Uh, I'd say true for the most part. But yeah, I, I never really believed in the whole cold weather. Hot. The hot weather affected me more than anything else being an offensive lineman. Mm. Um, but you're talking about like 25, 30, Tom Brady, 40-year-old dudes who have played a lot of football in a lot of different weather, right? I mean, just because – you know, you practice in one environment. The initial shock, I think, might hit you when you're on the pregame warm-ups and whatever. But after that, it's football. I mean, I, I played in a couple games that were freezing cold. I mean, you know, San Francisco, I think after 2012 or 13 season, it was minus 30 with the wind chill. You don't feel it when you're playing. You feel it when you go to the sideline. You feel it when you come out of halftime. And then it's gone like that. So um, I'm sure for other positions, you know, quarterback, the guys that handle the football um, there's some certain challenges that are presented, you know, with being in cold weather and snow. But I mean, Jeff will tell you, offensive linemen, yeah. we snow cold games. Cold, I, I would, it was good for hundred times out of a hundred, I would rather play in minus twenty than ninety degrees. Hundred times, oh, especially in the, <laughs> the snow for us was great because the defensive linemen couldn't move. I think TJ oh, yeah. brings up the point that's important when it comes to cold weather. It's not the actual physical like game that's happening where the weather affects guys. It's mentally preparing for the game, right? You hear about it all week, guys. It's going to be cold in Green Bay this week. It's going to be cold in Green Bay this week. How are you going to play in the snow this week? How are you going to play in the cold this week? 
And then you get to Green Bay and you land in Appleton or whatever. And you like, you go to the hotel. It's just, it's cold, right? It's cold everywhere. And you, you just kind of feel cold the entire time you're on your, your away trip. And mm-hmm. then you go to the stadium and to TJ's point, warming up takes a little bit longer because you're just kind of cold and you're kind of miserable and you don't want to be outside. And then when the game starts, it's like normal, but it's all the other things around it that are different for you. And if that just changes the way you play just a little bit, then you're not going to be as good. So that's why I think the cold can affect someone. Just like going from cold, and like if, if this game was in Tampa this weekend, I think it'd be a huge advantage for Tampa Bay. Green Bay has yeah. been in the, in the in the cold for months now. It's hard. To, it's almost harder to go from cold to hot, in my opinion. Yeah. But do you? Well, I mean, is it though? Is there something too? Um, I, you're, you're Eastern Michigan, so it, it's not like you played college football a lot down in the Sun Belt or anything. But is there something to – did anybody tell you when you were playing like a, a, a Packers teammate or otherwise, like, you know, year four now, I'm kind of used to playing out in the cold, but I didn't like it initially. Like, so, so my takeaway is there is no inherent advantage because the Packers are in the cold kind of like Bane, like I'm born into it now. Come on up, Tom Brady and company. But we're, we've are we been in it for the last several months. You guys are traveling from Florida. Advantage us in this one. Or is it completely irrelevant going into this one? Um, I got to say, I don't know if it's completely irrelevant, but I don't think it's as big as a factor as people try to make it out to be, um, especially with NFL players. I mean, everybody's played in cold. Everybody's played in hot weather, you know, Um like Jeff said, too, I think it's the mental aspect. All week, Tampa Bay's getting asked about, you saw Bruce Arians again, uh, probably five times this week, asking about the cold weather and how yeah. they're going to fare. I mean, Tom Brady made a living in, in AFC Championship games out in New England for, for a really long time. Obviously, he's used to it. Um, I, and and uh, I actually did play a game at Louisiana, Louisiana Lafayette when I was uh, at Eastern Michigan, so <laughs> that kind of acclimated us, too. But, no, I, I think it. the one thing that we used to look at in Green Bay – wasn't so much hot weather teams coming to cold weather as I think uh, we looked at time zones. If we had a team coming from the West Coast coming out for a noon game in Green Bay, I think that was probably the only time where we felt like we had some somewhat of, of an advantage because obviously, you know, playing at 10 a.m., uh, their body clock time, whatever it is, uh, you could always tell in the first quarter, first half, it took those teams a little while to wake up. So I think that was definitely a little bit more unique than having the whole the hot weather, cold weather. Once the, once the football's kicked off, you start the game. I mean, the last thing, honestly, that you're ever thinking about as a, as a especially an offensive lineman is the weather. Yeah, the weather, again. What about the noise? So this year we've seen home field advantage not matter in the NFL. It, it, the, the number, I think like home field teams are about 50-50, right? And there has, part of that is obviously there hasn't been crowd. They're going to have a small crowd, I believe, this weekend, right? Like 10,000 fans, yeah. something along those lines. How do, does that change the game, your preparation, you think, for either side only having 10,000 fans? It felt like the, the Buffalo home game a couple weeks ago against the Colts, like it felt like 6,000 fans. It felt like the entire stadium was full. Like there had not been that noise all year. The Colts were on silent count. So do you think it matters those fans in the stands for this game? Uh, yeah, I think it definitely brings a different level of energy, you know, especially after these guys have played – what 15, 16 games with absolutely nobody in the in the crowd except for media. I mean, I went to a couple games down in Fort Field uh, doing some work with the Lions, and it was just really, really awkward, man. It was weird. You know, after a touchdown, it's just dead silent. You're used to either a boo or a cheer. So I think, uh, especially listening to a lot of the Packers uh, guys talk Sunday, um, you know, after the, after the, they beat the Rams, there was only maybe 3,000 fans in the stands, but 
they said it made a difference, you know, and I think that kind of gives you uh, maybe a little bit extra energy, maybe a little momentum boost, whatever it is. Um, noise factor, I don't think it'll really play a whole lot. I mean, Green Bay uh, at times can be one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL, but if you're talking about 10,000 fans, I don't think it makes a huge difference. But you know, like I do, Jeff, I mean, you kind of, you, you swing, your energy can swing and your momentum can swing based off of, uh, the crowd and the atmosphere oh, yeah. and the environment. And I think, uh, I don't think it'll be obviously a huge advantage is having opposed to having 80,000 people at, at Lambeau field. But even with 10,000 people, man, after you score a touchdown, you know, you, you get kind of that, that energy building back up in the stadium a little yeah. bit. Sometimes that can go a long way for the momentum in the game. I feel like, um, football fans have been intimidated. I think there's like this, this, um, food chain, that exists that goes something like GMs and head coaches condescend to the media and then the media condescends down to the fans and then the fans, some percentage of them just wear it. And it's like, well, I I don't care what you think. Ultimately GM, I'm allowed to perpetuate the narratives that I think are interesting and make me watching your game uh, compelling. So don't tell me how to think. I think, the QB wins is a, a statistic, and we are all of a sudden in an all-time inflection point as far as that goes. Do you think – you know Aaron Rodgers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Do you think he cares? Does it matter to him? Is he thinking like, boy, my legacy – and it, but my point with the, with GMs and the media is like, one game doesn't uh, – harumph uh, from up on Mount Pius, you dumb fans. You don't get it. One game doesn't decide whether or not Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady is better. Mm-hmm. Kind of does. Kind of kind of going to kind of going to matter 20 years from now when we look back who won that head to head and who wins the Super Bowl. Does Aaron Rodgers care? Is he thinking like, "Man, I better not lose to Tom Brady or else uh I I, I there's no way I can make an argument that uh, uh that I'm the greatest of all time." Yeah, 100%. You I mean, he cares. I think every quarterback cares. Um, you know, ah. I don't know if the – I'm kind of against you on the whole quarterback win statistic. Uh, I mean, because I've played a lot of outstanding games on offense and we lose the game and the quarterback's almost damn near perfect. I mean, that's not really fair to put it. Everything on them, just like maybe the wins. Um, you know, some some wins they get, they don't really deserve. So I don't I don't think that's – I don't think it's fair to call wins and losses a quarterback statistic. But Aaron Rodgers, yes. I could tell you back from – um, 2014 season, we played New England at, at Lambeau. Um, I saw a, a little bit different of a guy at quarterback. <laughs> uh, you know, what we're kind of seeing this year with the smiles and the joking and, and just having fun. Uh, that one game we played Tom Brady and the Patriots, it was like urgency, boom, focus, like no no messing around, no jack around, boom, let's, we got to win this game, you know. And we, we were all kind of thinking in the back of our head, yeah, you know, he wants to beat Tom Brady. Um, I think most quarterbacks are like that. Aaron Rodgers is one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around, no matter if it's football or playing cards or, uh, you know, trying to win any sort of irrelevant argument going on a lunchroom. I mean, he, he he always wants to come out on top. And and I think that's what obviously drives him to be, uh, you know, the one of the best in the NFL. So this is going to be an interesting game. I don't know if it's going to be fair in the long run to say whoever wins this game had the upper hand because <clears> – <throat> You know, Aaron Rodgers is having the best year of his career, in my opinion. But this isn't really vintage 
um, prime Tom Brady that we see, you know, and I think we've all kind of seen that throughout the year where you see him slipping a little bit and, and maybe the talent is on a decline. So I don't know if it's going to be fair to really compare this game, but I could tell you it's going to mean a whole hell of a lot to both those guys, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, whoever's walking off that field with a win Sunday going to the Super Bowl. Um, those guys want that bragging right. You know, <laughs> they, they want that behind their name saying whichever way it goes, you know, I just beat the best and now we're going to the Super Bowl. That's going to be uh, obviously a huge motivational factor for both of them. I, I'm not sure it's been fair to knock Aaron Rodgers the way people have done in the past, especially some of his former teammates. But this year especially, it feels like he's embraced a new offense, right? The more play-action pass, more motion. He's not checking out of plays. Like, there was clearly this season he decided, hey, I'm going to trust the system. I'm going to trust the floor. It's been great for him. Like you mentioned, probably his best season in his career. What What do you think clicked for him in the offseason where he decided, I got to buy in because the system does work. We've seen it work for years now. What, what was that change in his attitude, you think, in this offseason? Well, I think taking a quarterback in the first round put a little uh, fire <laughs> yeah. under his ass, you know. Yeah. And he's not necessarily the guy that needs that extra chip on his shoulder, the motivational factor. But I think it's human nature. Anytime that um, you see a possible ending or a possible replacement coming in to take your job, um, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's human nature to say – I'm going to go either one of two ways. You know, I'm going to try to sabotage this thing on my way out or I'm going to make the best out of it and I'm going to try to go out here on top. And I think Aaron Rodgers has done the the latter. I think he's uh, – the the season that he's had, the way uh, – the, the fun that he's having on the field, um, the way that you see him talking during the week, I mean, just a lot more relaxed and open in the media and honest and uh, transparent, I think is something that we haven't really seen from him. Um, I kind of go back and forth on that a little bit, Jeff, whether it's – uh, does Aaron Rodgers know that, you know, maybe he's only got a year or two left in Green Bay before he moves on or <laughs> what's going through his mind? I don't know. And he, he even makes I mean, he does make some comments every now and then that kind of makes you step back and think. Right. I mean, I think it was just, uh, you know, this past Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, he said, my future is a beautiful mystery. And you're like, what are you talking about? You know, and he even makes some comments about <laughs> offensive coordinator or Nathaniel Hackett. Hey, I hope he doesn't go anywhere unless I do too, you know, ha ha. Well, it's got those things kind of make you think, right? So I think um, that was probably the start of it. I think that was the start when they took Jordan Love, um, probably threw him back uh, 15 years to where, you know, he was with Brett Favre and understands the way that things work. And I think he, uh, the way that he's come out on top and, and played this season says a lot about the kind of player he is, uh, his integrity, uh, the character. I mean, I think all those things in the media that we've been reading for the past 10 years have really been covered up because this is a guy who clearly could have said, listen, get me out of here, you know, or, or do this, or I'm going to sabotage this thing, or I'm going to do, do it my way. The way he's bought in and had fun and, and playing at an all-time elite level um, says a lot about the kind of guy that Aaron Rodgers is, man, and, and you got to love it. I feel like to you know psychoanalyze uh, th this guy, it feels to me like there's a division between the way Rodgers has comported himself over the course of his career versus, let's say, Peyton Manning or Dan Marino or a lot of the – or Brady even to some degree – you see a lot of that gesticulating out on the field, leader of men, and you know, like that that this this type A personality. I don't necessarily get that vibe off Aaron Rodgers. He's sort of like he's got a like he's got a he, he he's got a clever sense of humor, and there's something behind his eyes and a sarcasm that he's got that the other guys don't. And I don't know how he's necessarily perceived by the public versus those guys. Um, 
it, it all to me just leads to the idea. I, I and by the way, I whether it's Brett Favre or Marino or Roethlisberger or Rogers, like this idea that it, it's that that uh, they should be excited about um, grooming their replacement is loco to me. Like, of course they shouldn't want that. They're competitors. Period. Let alone like, yeah, here. Here's Father Time in the person of Jordan Love. Get excited. Hey, Brett Favre, look, here's a guy we just drafted in the first round. He's taking over for you. Help him out, won't you? Like, who would do that? Who, who would want to, to do that? But do you think, though, that this, he's having fun and maybe he sees the finish line on the horizon? It's kind of like Drew Brees in the Superdome last weekend. I, I felt like it's like he's going to retire after this game. I thought – well, that's a lot of pressure on a guy, isn't it? Like in the huddle in the close game, like, oh my God, this could be the last series I ever have in the NFL. I better make it a good one. That's a lot of pressure. Is Aaron Rodgers, do you think, running out into that huddle of like, I win this Super Bowl. I am I, I go down in history as the greatest QB of all time. And by the way, I just don't think it's crazy to say that Patrick Mahomes maybe has you can create a chain of events where Patrick Mahomes has won his last Super Bowl. This idea that Patrick Mahomes, it's the same thing as when Andrew Luck got drafted. Like, oh, this kid's going to win a multiple Lombardis. Like, is he? They only give out the one trophy every year. <laughs> the, the numbers are kind of against anybody winning multiple of it. Is Aaron Rod- like, I, I just am getting into, like, the pressure of the narrative of individually, not for the Packers, but for Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes and all that kind of stuff. Do you, do you suppose he feels – immense pressure i always talk about the curse of supposed to tj which is and the packers are definitely at home the the best team in the nfc this year they're supposed to win this game does aaron Rodgers, much like not to bring up bad memories but there were some packers teams especially 2011 after you guys win the super bowl that was an all-time team that was maybe the greatest individual season by a qb of all time and you guys lose to the giants in the divisional round I think you guys got supposed to there. You guys were supposed to win, and that pressure crushed you guys. Is that similar for Rodgers and this team this year against an old man coming into town to play you? I don't think so. I don't think, and I don't know this for sure, but I'm basing this off of what I've seen out of Aaron Rodgers uh, throughout the whole season, throughout last week against the Rams, um, how loose that he's been playing. Uh, you saw the clip. Uh, you know, before he hit Lazard on that big touchdown last week and it shows him smiling, you know, looking at the coverage. Um, I think that just kind of shows what state of mind that he's been in this year, which is just like super relaxed, calm, collected. Um, don't care what the situation is. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to prove that I'm the best. And I think maybe that's been, uh, like you mentioned, Mahomes and those guys, I think that's probably been – a big motivational factor for Aaron Rodgers as well is that, hey, he was the guy that was getting all the love for 10, 15 years about being the most talented guy and, and smartest guy. And Tom Brady always got a little bit up your hand because he had the trophies, but Aaron Rodgers was always the most talented guy, right? And now you get Patrick Mahomes coming along and now you get a couple of these young guys, Josh Allen, who's playing incredible. And I think in the back of your mind, when you're sitting on that throne for so long, uh, you don't want to give that thing up, man. <laughs> and I think that's been a huge yeah. motivational uh, part uh, of why he's been playing just so uh, elite and just unbelievable level. And I, I think a, a big part of that is because he's not putting all that pressure on himself. And when you look at the way that they play offense, 
he has bought into Green Bay being a run-heavy, play-action-heavy team. We didn't see that for a long time. It was, hey, we're running scat 50 times a game. Aaron Rodgers is going to go win this game. I think when you put that on him, yeah, that's a lot of pressure. But when you look at the way they played last week where it's run, 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 play-action, play-action, run, every now and then take a shot, um, how do you stop him? You know, and I think he's got that not, not sort of cock, cockiness, but that confidence to say nobody's going to stop us, man. You know, because how, how do you play Aaron Rodgers? How do you try to defend him and Devonte Adams and all the weapons that they have, and then say, "Oh, Aaron Jones just popped a sixty-yarder on us too." Now we got, you know what I mean. So uh, that's been the most impressive thing for me. Uh, you talked about it earlier with Aaron buying into Matt LaFleur and buying into their offense because last year we saw a lot of the old stuff that Aaron liked to do. We saw a lot of five-man protections, spread them out, throw, 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 dink and dunk. This year it's been the complete opposite, run, uh, play. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just uh, for Aaron Rodgers at this level of his career to maybe uh, take a little slice of humble pie and, and say, you know what, we're going to do what's best for the team. We're going to buy into this offense. We're going to run it the way coach wants to. But it takes a pretty big man to do that because, you know, like I do, there's a lot of quarterbacks out there that uh, they want the spotlight 24-7 and they want to prove that that they can do it um, by themselves if they have to. And I think it's been – it's just incredibly impressive, uh, incredibly impressive to watch Aaron uh, buy into that offense and say, hey, I don't have to be the guy that makes uh, five or six or ten huge plays. I'm going to give it to these other guys and, and showcase their, their efforts and, and take a little bit of pressure off himself. They've been without their left tackle now, I believe, for the last two games. Bakhtiari got hurt. He missed the Bears game. A little, there was some pressures there, but last week it was like, didn't even, like, didn't miss him at all. Um, how are they getting by without the best pass blocking left tackle in the NFL? I mean, I contend that you know, that's part of the reason Rogers able to scramble around all the time is because Bakhtiari is not letting his guy ever touch the quarterback. How are they getting by without him in the lineup? Well, that offensive line, when you watch the film, I mean, it is probably a literal wet dream, you know, to watch their scheme, the way they run oh, yes, the, yes. the play actions, the slide protections, you know, the two tight ends staying in, double teams across the board. Um, the way that Aaron uh, gets the ball out of his hands, just quick flick of the wrist, you know, five-yard route, guy takes it for 30, 40 yards. Uh, that definitely helps the offensive line out tremendously, um, right, especially when you're missing you know, all pro left tackle. Um, but their offensive line has been playing well, man. In the run game, it's so interesting to watch. And it, it'll be interesting to see what happens this week, too, because that first matchup playing Tampa Bay was a lot of, uh, you know, toss plays outside zone. Let's get to the perimeter. And I think they learned that that was probably a big mistake, especially when you look at Levante David and Devin White. You don't want to get into a sprint, a, a track meet with those guys, you know. The, your offensive lineman is not going to be able to catch up to them. Um, the way that they played last week, though, running right downhill. Yeah. Right at Aaron Donald, running in between the tackles, in between the guards, uh, a lot of misdirection cutbacks. I, I think that's what makes this team d- dangerous because you just don't know where the hell the ball's going. Um, but you, uh, Billy Turner, uh, Rick Wagner, starting at right tackle, Lucas Patrick starting at right guard, those are three guys that uh, are completely, you know, weren't playing at the at those positions for a long time in the season. To have them come in and, and not miss a beat and play like they did last week, uh, was impressive. Now, I will say if Tampa wants to have a chance to win this game, uh, they're going to have to shut down the run, you know, and, and they're going to have to – they're going to have – if they could get Vita Vea back for maybe even 10 or 15 plays at the nose tackle position, that's where a lot of those big runs uh, from Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones go. If he can clog up, you know, he could play a couple first, second downs and clog up that run, um, it, it could spell a little bit of trouble for Green Bay because you look at – they're almost built, in my mind – 
much like the Tennessee Titans, where you see the Titans are just so dominant on the offensive line when they're winning and they're pounding the rock. But as soon as they start to get behind, it's like, okay, you know, pass rush starts to get to the quarterback a little bit. You know, these guys aren't really built for pass blocking that much. Um, Green Bay is a little bit similar, you know, especially with having Bakhtiari out now. I think those guys are tremendous run blockers, but I don't think they want to get into a game where uh, it's going to be close and they're going to have to throw the ball 40 or 50 times because obviously, you know, you still have Sue playing at a high level, JPP, Barrett, all those guys, Devin White, the way that he's able to pressure the quarterback. I don't think that's going to be the game they want to play. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of come out. But um, Green Bay's offensive line, I put them right up there, Jeff. I know. Yeah. probably with Cleveland, you know, as yeah. two of the um, probably most consistent groups that we've seen throughout the year. And obviously a huge reason why they won 13 games and, and beat the Rams last week and gonna give themselves another good chance to win this week. People always talk about the previous game. Oh, the previous game, the Bucks blitzed the heck out of the Packers and they're going to do it again. And I contend that was week six, first of all. So that's three, three whole months ago. Secondly, <laughs> if you look at Aaron Rodgers' numbers against the Blitz this year, he's really good. He completes 67% of passes. But the outlier game is Tampa. So I think the Packers have a schematic advantage. They know what the Bucs want to do. They know how to pick up the pressures. And if the Bucs play something else, they're playing almost a suboptimal defense, right? So the advantage, in my opinion, people are saying, oh, it's Tampa Bay. It's Green Bay, right? Green Bay knows how the Bucs want to attack them. And that was three months ago. Like, everyone has a bad game. It's okay. So is the advantage in Green Bay's favor now knowing how Tampa wants to defend them? Well, if Tampa Bay wants to play the exact same, then yeah. I I mean, I think the impressive thing we've seen out of Tampa this year is – they just their defense just plays consistent and, and it, they play they just play what they're going to play. You know, you don't see them change a whole lot week to week yeah. to what the offense is doing. It's almost like, hey, make them adjust to us, you know, and they, they got the players that they're able to do that. Um, it's impressive. I, I think if the matchup that I'm going to be watching very close this week will be the interior uh, of the Packers offense and the interior of the Tampa defense. If you can run right at David and you can run right at Devin White, you can hit him in the mouth and you can get a little bit of, of wood on those guys. That's all it takes for Aaron Jones to bust some runs. I, I would not want to get into another sideline to sideline game with those guys because it absolutely killed them in week six. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how they game plan. But yeah, I think, look, I mean, we saw it last week. Obviously people were talking about, uh, Tampa, New Orleans, uh, you know, Tampa lost whatever, 38 to three, whatever it was <laughs> a couple months before that obviously didn't matter. So um, like you said, I mean, it was so long ago, you know, uh, Packers are the hottest team in football. They have been the thing with me and I don't really watch a whole lot of the Packers defense. I know enough about them, but when you look at the stats, I mean, they've only allowed over 20 points one time in the last seven weeks. I mean, that's pretty impressive for a group that's, Kind of historically been <laughs> a little bit up and down. So, and the one, oh, the one team that put up over twenty on them was the Detroit Lions, by the way. So, uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting, man. It's going to be a, a heck of a matchup, and um, you know, I just think if you want to win and you want to play the way that you game plan all week against Tampa, you're going to have to take care of those those middle linebackers. All right, I let's figure the with the three of us. Let's see if we can figure out what you actually need to win the Super Bowl in terms of uh, of personnel. But first, you mentioned Vita Vea. And mm-hmm. that guy, I, I don't know if you've been in his presence, but he cuts a different figure. Like, 
Schwartz is predisposed. Like as soon as he retired, he gained 117 pounds, like within two weeks afterwards, other offensive linemen shrink down. Like they, they suddenly lose a hundred or so pounds within three or six months after retirement. Vita Bay is just a massive human being, no matter what, like he's just a, if he and AJ Dillon collide, it may, it might be the most combined weight in a collision in pro football history. Um, but he wears number 50, which is a weird number. Why did you wear 50? Why did you wear 50? And then you went 70, which is a cool O-lineman number, I think. But then you went 76 when you got to the Lions. And I remember talking to Mike Daniels, who then took 76 for the Packers. And I said, this is a bold move, a great move, because already you're in the argument for the greatest 76 in football history because there isn't real, there aren't a lot of good ones. Explain to me how you wind up with with a nut with numbers that range from 50 to 76 in your college and pro career. Cause I think it's weird. So high school was 50. I don't really know why. I think one of my buddies wore it at a different school and I liked it. So I stole it from him. Um, actually when I went to Eastern, I was defense alignment. So my first number was 93. I played ah. my freshman year at defensive tackle and defensive end. Um, first year, I saw first day of sophomore camp, they moved me over to offensive line. <laughs> Which I wasn't thrilled about, you know, but I made it work. And I just said, hey, look, it's giving my high school number back. I want to wear 50. Um, got to Green Bay. Obviously, that was taken by a pretty good player, A.J. Hawk. So, we don't have a choice, Dave. Like some of us that are, aren't first round draft picks, we don't have choices, man. No. We gotta take what we take what we get. I got seven right four. I was, a first, I was a first round pick, so I know. I, I, I know how how the fancy pants live. But so, I yeah. mean, to me, this would be such a massive uh, thing. Like in high school, whatever, I'm on the JV basketball team. Like, sorry, Dave, our, our options are limited here. You get what you get. But if I, if I went to the Green Bay Packers, if I, would dra- I know I'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to be on this team. But I'd also be like, I got to have the coolest possible number. <laughs> and you're bouncing around from 70, and then you go to the last 76. What in the hell? Why do you – Sandy's pretty cool, though. Why did you change it when you got to to Detroit? Well, uh, the gentleman that was wearing it felt like he uh, uh, accomplished a lot in that number, and which is who? a little weird because he was like a rookie. <laughs> Wait, who? Um, it was Corey Robinson, who was actually yeah. a great dude. Corey's an awesome guy. Jeff probably knows him yeah, from yeah. his time in Detroit. Um, good dude, but he was wearing it, and I remember I had a conversation with him, and uh, – you know, there was uh, obviously a little negotiating and the price just got a little too a little too high. And I said, you know what, new team, let's go with a new number. You know, let's stop trying to live in the past and, and move on. So uh, Corey felt like, uh, you know, I think he wore that in college and he had some sentimental value in, in that number as well. And um, What a high hat. He's, he's like, I'm not giving most, it to you. You're like, I'm a, free, anyone, I'm a Super Bowl champ, Rook. I'm a Super Bowl champ. I'll take what number I want, and you'll take my leftovers. How does he have the sway to tell you what number is going to be? Well, it was kind of – it was also, Dave, it was kind of one of those things, hey, we're going to a new team. I've seen it before. You know, I've seen guys come in from other teams, and, you know, they – hey, back here we did it this way. Here we did it this way. Here we did this. You don't care about that. So that was the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to come in, and I didn't want to say, hey, you know, I've done this, and this is what I – I've won this. It was like, hey, let's get off to a fresh start. Let's see how things work here and, and try to, you know, find a crack, slide my way in to see how I fit. So that was kind of the mindset, too, was I, I didn't want to be a guy that comes out and, 
uh, hey, hey, you kid, you know, give me your number. Blah, blah. I, you know, I wanted to make a good impression. So that, that said a lot about it. <laughs> What's the most you see anyone pay for a jersey number? Do you recall? <sighs> Not personally. I mean, I don't remember a whole lot of guys, um, you know, on the teams that I was with doing it. I think I paid two grand for seventy four when I got to Detroit. Michael Ola had it. And I was like, I was like, I'll give you two grand for it. <laughs> two grand. Yeah, for Corey a little bit more than that actually, and uh, he still wouldn't take it. But uh, I don't know. You hear stories, you know, you hear stories about fifty grand, seventy five grand, I some money like that. I didn't. I've never that. seen. I mean, I've never personally seen that, so I can't speak to that. But um, a lot of the, actually, I'm trying to remember you know, who it was, what team I was on. It might have been when Julius Peppers came in, and I think who was ever wearing 56 was just like, it's yours, take it, dude. Like, <laughs> good to meet you at yours. <laughs> Don't offer me. I'll pay you, sir. Like, <laughs> That's like those weirdos who would catch home run balls when, like, Bonds or whoever was hitting home runs, and they'd be like, it's just an honor to, to give you, you this too. ball. Like, no, make Barry Bonds give you a quarter million dollars for it. What do you mean? Like, you don't owe it to him. This is what I'm talking about. Fans getting into him. I just want to be a good, I, I want to be a good guy. Um, what about then, like I say, the essential things, because people get hyperbolic about what you got to have this. If you want to win a Super Bowl, and everybody floats all those things over and over again um, about the essential items. It occurs to me, if you go through the 21st century of the teams that win the Super Bowl, Julio Jones, zero rings, T.O., uh, Randy Moss, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen, Nuke Hopkins, the list goes on and on. You don't need to have, for all the obsession with, we, we got to find the number one, we got to find his number one. You don't need to have it to win the Super Bowl. The results are in. You do. Now, Joe Flacco and Brad Johnson and Trent Dilfer are kind of the exceptions that prove the rule. They squeeze through and win one. But to be a perennial contender, you need to have a high end, let's say top eight or ten QB yeah. to to be relevant come January more often than not. What else? Uh, you guys, you mentioned it, TJ, about the offensive line. Seems like that's a pretty consistent thing in the 21st century that a good offensive line is 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 pretty close to essential if you want to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think offensive line for me and Jeff is probably the obvious yeah. one. But I sure. start with head coach. You know, I'll start with head coach. I mean, that's when you get to the big games like that and even the playoffs, um, the decisions, the little decisions, the analytic calls, going forward on fourth and one, when not to go forward on fourth and one, maybe when to kick a field goal or, or, or go for it. I, I think all those little decisions uh, obviously make a huge difference, uh, you know, come Super Bowl time. Um, balancing that risk and balancing, you know, the momentum and your players. And I, I think making the adjustments, right. I, I think obviously, um, you know, head coaching plays, I mean, it, it's never more uh, put on a pedestal and, and look focused on uh, than the playoffs and Super Bowl. You just can't, I mean, you just can't do it without a, a superb head coach. And which is what we've seen obviously with Belichick for many years and, Andy Reid starting to be that guy. He's always been the same as well. So I'll start with head coach. I'll let Jeff take the easy one with all. George, you go now. You <laughs> did, you but not one that you'd like to have. One that you just you 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 ain't so, winning it if you don't got this. So the the question I always have on defense is: it pass rush or is it secondary? Like which one is more important? Is the secondary more important or the pass rush more important? I I think the the secondary is right because a uh, lot of times 
when there's teams that have great pass rushers but have terrible secondary players, the ball just is thrown out quickly, right? It doesn't matter how good the pass rusher is. So I think you'd have to get, like, I think a, a corner or, a, you know, a Teron Matthew, like a guy who can affect plays in the secondary is more important than an elite pass rusher. I go, it's funny you say that because I always refer to the Giants um, with what they did. And it's and it's not just pass rush in the abstract if you right. can if you can blitz a team into the ground, it's, it's like we always talk about, can you get there with four? Can you, can you bother Brady or Rogers right. or these guy, this level of guy with just four? And they that's what four, like they have, like, it's hard to build up a team with four, like pro bowl guys. Though I'm talking about, if you're just choosing like the next guy up, I would choose a corner or a you know, Tyron Matthew. Yeah. I hear four, you. I think I feel like four to pass me, rushers. Yeah. Great. Four great pass rushers. You don't need a great secondary, but I just think about those Giants teams. I think about those Giants teams. They've got, like we keep saying, sorry, TJ, that got uh, Rodgers and then got Brady. Um, And then I think about the Eagles of 2017, and that was their key to success. I know they put up a massive point total in that game against the Patriots, but the thing that carried them through that season was more than anything else Carson Wentz and otherwise to me was was that they had that rotation going. I mean, they had like – they were like seven or eight deep and they just kept, they, they, they were fresh and they were able to get there with just that four. But I think the other thing is, as you say, I think you need that honey badger type. He's the personification of 21st century defender in my book, a guy who, you know, isn't a part of just shutting you down and smothering you all game long, but he'll turn you over once or twice over the course of a game. And that's everything in 21st century football. So you look at last year, right? I mean, San Francisco's defensive line absolutely pulverized the right. for most of the game. I mean, Joey Bosa was huh, – and I, I like Eric Fisher. I know he's a Central Michigan guy. He had a – I mean, I was happy they won him because he would have – I mean, that was – he had a really tough day. And Buckner and Armstead. And, I mean, the San Francisco was – they were getting after Kansas yeah. City last year. But, obviously – what was the big difference? It was Patrick Mahomes <laughs> and the throws he was able to make. So um, ultimately, I think if I had to say one position consistently, and yes, there are some outliners, it's got to be the quarterback position. You got a guy, you got to have a guy that's got the it factor. And by it, I mean making the plays when there's no plays available, right? Not settling for four yards on a third and five or third and six or uh, you know, make finding a way to extend the play and make a play when the perfect defense is called, right? I think to me, that's how I kind of identify that it, it factor. And uh, for the most part uh, of Super Bowls, you know, that's what we've seen. Patrick Mahomes last year, we saw it with Nick Foles just playing uh, out of his mind, you know, for a couple games late in that stretch. And obviously Tom Brady's always <laughs> been pretty, pretty solid in the Super Bowl too. Last question I have before we get your uh, big pick here uh, for the two games is, TJ um, talking about the lions and, uh, and all of that, Matt Stafford to me is um, the, I, 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 I respectfully, I think uh, QB wins do matter. And my proof is always how many high end QBs are on teams that are stinkers for more than a year or two. I mean, like every Phil rivers had a swoon there of several years where they didn't go to the playoffs. Drew Brees went seven and nine with some apocalyptically bad defenses. But for the most part, if we put a list of the six to 10 best QBs of the 21st century together, you'll see that those teams happen to be relevant um, most seasons. Why is Matthew Stafford? He is, he is the guy 
who debunks all that because the Lions have been more bad than good over the entirety of his career, and they had Megatron for some stretch there as well. Um, you know, and yet Schwartz and I talk. If you could get Matthew Stafford to San Francisco right now, mm-hmm. or if you could get him to Indianapolis, mm-hmm. do you think Stafford is done in Detroit? And at, at thir- what's crazy is he's only thirty-two as well. It seems like man, yeah. that guy's been around forever, but he's only thirty-two. Do you think he moves? And do you think if he does that we see Matthew Stafford have this second or whatever act you would consider this of his career, the where it's like. Oh yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's clearly he's got that Lombardi now. He's he's one of the best to do it in this century. Yeah, um, I, I I think I've gone back and forth on this a lot the past probably month. Um, I've had days where I said, yeah, he's probably moving on. Whether it's them um, trying to get more draft capital or get a young guy, or whether it's him saying, you know what, it's been twelve years. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to stick around for a three or four year. Uh, rebuild or retool, which Brad Holmes likes to say. Um, but I think in my heart of heart, I, I think he's here next year. Uh, I don't know about anything after that. I wouldn't be surprised if they take a quarterback at seven, depending on who's there. Can't just take a guy just to take a guy, right? I mean, we've seen the uh, Darnolds and, and Rosens and those guys, you know, obviously taking a quarterback just to take one doesn't work out all the time. Um, I think he's here, though. I, I think ownership uh, loves him. I, I think the city loves him. Um, I think they want to do everything they can to try to build a winner around him. Um, I, I, th- I hope they got it right this time because there's just never really been that exact fit with GM, coach, combo, and talent. Um, I hope they got that this year with with Holmes and uh, obviously with, with uh, Dan Campbell coming in. Um, time will tell. But my biggest thing is you have to be realistic – uh, this was one of the worst defenses of all time in 2020. I mean, just the one of the absolute worst. Uh, you're looking at that side of the ball. If I'm the GM and I'm the coach, I'm saying, okay, we probably legit need eight or nine new guys on that side of the ball to come play for us. And that's, you know, look, I mean, they, they, they've they got a lot of young guys. They could obviously get better. They could develop. They could be better in a different scheme. Um, but for whatever reason, it's just, it, it was a historically bad year. So, uh, I think they can win with Matthew Stafford if they get the pieces around him, if they get the right head coach, which I, I hope they did with Campbell. But by the time you're ready to compete in maybe two years being generous, maybe three or four years, is Stafford going to still be playing at that level? Yeah, I think that's something you have to you have to really think about. Um, so I think he's here next year, whether it's uh, you know bringing in a young guy to kind of sit for a year and, and kind of watch Matthew Stafford play um, or whether, you know, they, they, they decide to make some other move to bring somebody else. And I think he's here uh, for one more year and, you know, we'll see what happens after that. I could tell you <laughs> looking at the draft this past year, right after they picked goes Tua and Justin Herbert and watching those guys um, probably would have been a good year to snatch one of those guys just to keep, but uh, they ah, might. They're always, but there's so many QBs every spring. <laughs> there's another batch. I really believe that. I really do. I think there's so many QBs. People get too crazy about it. This However, be a good year for QBs. This will be a good. I think we'll see probably five or six guys that are going to be. Playing. It's that way every year. People like reboot this thing. It was Deshaun and okay, Trubisky hasn't worked out, and Mahomes, and then it was. 
all there were five first rounders and Baker just played in the divisional round and Darnold is this interesting figure still plus uh plus Allen and Lamar Jackson as well and and um this past, and now you got the like you said it's every year it's never going to end there's always a pipeline of kids coming in the spring now we don't have to obsess over this that said the central figure of this offseason in my book is not Roethlisberger or what happens with Brady at 44 and it's Matthew Stafford. If he moves to the Colts or the Niners, that team to me becomes the favorite in either one of those conferences. Like if it, it's that simple. You put Stafford on either of those two teams, that team becomes the favorite to go to the Super Bowl a year from now. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think you, especially any of those teams, if you're talking about San Fran or Indy, um, you know, they're not – it's super talent on offense-wise enough, obviously, to win. But you look at the defenses. I think that's something that Matthew Stafford hasn't had. He might have had it for one year in 2014 with, uh, you know, Sue and Fairley and Ziggy Ansa and those guys playing playing their asses off. But for the most part of his career, I mean, you talk about pressure. We were talking about Aaron Rodgers. There's been a lot of pressure on Matthew Stafford because I could just imagine, you know, we, we used to have conversations. I'm not saying him with him personally, but – there's times around the sidelines you're saying, all right, I guess we got to score 40 points today. You know, we want to win. That puts pressure on you. So yeah. you talk about him going to a different team and uh, getting a defense behind him. <laughs> I mean, watch out. Uh, I will say this, this is, this will be a good year. If you're an NFC team to kind of refuel on the quarterbacks, right? Because we're seeing Tom Brady, who's going to know, knows what his future is. Uh, Drew Brees, obviously retiring, you know, passing the torch, Aaron Rodgers getting up there. I know he's coming off a great year, but how much longer does he have in Green Bay? So if you're an NFC team, you take a look at the AFC. I mean, last weekend, you have four quarterbacks that are technically still on the rookie deals, right? Yeah. With Allen Mahomes, I know obviously it's extension, but Baker and yeah. Lamar. I mean, it might be it might be sitting here a year from now or maybe two years from now, we're looking at the NFC that way saying, hey, they got four young quarterbacks that are good, man. And well, Deshaun Watson, I, 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 leave, I leave Deshaun out of that conversation too. But, you know, if you snag him – um obvious same 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 effect can have all right let's get to the here and now though we'll we'll talk in the off season and by the way lang if you're a puck guy you're welcome to join us to talk some puck he's a puck he's, guy Big puck. I, i'm not surprised well he's in michigan he's got he's got to be you, you you root for the wheel oh 100 man through and through buddy <laughs> it's been a rough couple of years hey i don't laugh you know but hey it was it's a, did you did you watch it did you watch this time did you watch it not nine when max talbot got you not once but twice in game seven he got you he got you twice and then then uh then the black and gold hoisted the cup on your ice on your ice they lifted yeah. the cup i watched i remember oato too with the red wings hoisting it on pittsburgh that was that was a good i don't like that i don't like that part i didn't i, I don't care for that as nearly as much yeah i don't know I, I'm, I'm talking about what happened more recently Recently. Don't live in the rearview mirror, Lang. All right, let's look on the near horizon. Title game weekend. Separated two games, 266 games worth of football, all leading us to this. The margin provided by the bookmakers, three points only for the home teams, Chiefs and the Packers. How say you, Lang? How do these games go? Yeah, I think it's going to be a Super Bowl one rematch. I think both teams win. I think both teams cover, quite frankly. Um, I just look at the way that Green Bay's playing. They've been the hottest team for the majority of the year, especially the last two months. Uh, I don't think Tom Brady has the ability anymore to throw 40, 45 times and go win the game and come from behind. Um, 
you know, you look at last week, I mean, what was he, 18 out of 35 or something wacky for not even 200 yards. I mean, you know, they still won. They rode their defense. Uh, I think Green Bay covers, though. I just think they've been playing at such an elite level. I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think I'm looking at something probably 28 to 20, probably seven, eight-point eight point win for those guys. Um, they just deserve it. I mean, you could just tell they're playing at a whole different level uh, than anybody else in the NFC. Uh, Tampa, I think, has a chance to match up with them. We talked about that earlier, depending on how they're going to play on defense. But uh, just too much firepower, you know, uh, on, on Green Bay's offense. And their defense, man, you know, I, I think – you look at the last couple NFC championship games they've been in, um, obviously last year, you know, letting up 38 points to San Fran and back in 2016, I know it's a ton of new guys, but you know, we got blown out by the Falcons. They put 45 on us. And um, I think they've got the skill on defense to prevent that. Uh, you look on the other side with Mahomes, obviously coming off kind of that weird injury. Me and Jeff talked about a little bit throughout the week with a little bit more neck or whatnot, but He's going to be geared up, ready to play. And uh, this is the matchup that (laughs) probably excites me the most because playing with Aaron for eight years, um, watching him practice every single day, and obviously the throws that he makes in the games, you get spoiled by it. You get used to it. But when you look back, you say, my God, I've never seen anybody do that with the football Um, until, you know, the past couple of years. Mahomes is the closest I've ever seen to matching him, what he can do. Uh, the, with the arm angles and the throws and the flick of the wrist and every little aspect, uh, he's been the closest. And, and I just think that it's destiny, man. I think it's one of those uh, new school, old school matchups. You know, both those guys obviously want to prove the best. I, I think uh, the Chiefs, I, I think that'll be a tight game. Um, you know, Buffalo obviously has – uh, they've been playing great football, but really, you look at the pat. I mean, I was watching that first game against the Colts, and my takeaway coming off of that Bills Colts game was that's going to be a really, really tough loss to swallow if you're an indie, right? Oh, yeah. You miss a field goal, uh, you drop a fourth and goal touchdown, you miss out on ten points, and you end up losing by four. And throughout that whole game was just. Everything was going right for Buffalo with all the little mini toe taps on the sideline, incredible throws, incredible catches. Um, I don't think, and and not saying Buffalo is not a good team. I just think that they've kind of been skating by a little bit the past couple weeks where you look at uh, Mahomes and you look at the Chiefs, obviously last week probably would have been different if he never gets hurt, but um, they've been right next to the Packers. They've probably been the the, the co-hottest teams we've seen out of the past couple months. Last question for me, and and hate to end on a sad note. Uh, Ted Thompson passed away. Just announced oh, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I know he brought you to to Green Bay. Was there for I believe your entire tenure, right, with yeah. the Packers? Uh, you know, kind of notoriously quiet guy, right? Wasn't much in the media. Uh, what did he mean to you and to the Packers? I mean, a lot of the guys on the roster now are guys he brought in. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about. You know, he was only been out of the game for well, maybe three years, maybe four yeah. years now. Um, he was an incredible guy, man. You know, you didn't, you didn't see him a whole lot, uh, you know, uh, throughout practices and meetings and stuff, but you bump into the hallway and um, he always kind of had like this intimidating kind of factor about him because he was just like that silent, you know, assassin yeah. type. Um, but when I really got to know him, especially throughout the last couple of years of my career, uh, you realize just what a nice, genuine person he is. Um, 
it's, it's just tough, man. You know, and he was young too. Um, did a great job, obviously building that roster. Um, we were, I mean, all eight years I was there, we were in the playoffs every single year. We had a chance to compete. Um, just bringing in guys year after year. And I think with me, you know, I won't tell the whole story, but he gave me personally um, a couple chances. You know, my first couple years, I wasn't necessarily the most professional guy. And, um, you know, I had a conversation with him one time and, uh, you know, he, he just kept, he gave me, he gave me a, I remember he gave, he talked to me one time. I won't disclose that, but he gave me a chance. He believed in me. And I, I think that was a time I didn't really believe in myself. And, uh, he meant a lot for me, man, you know, and he meant a lot to that city, that organization, um, to the fans, um, incredible person, you know, incredible, incredible football mind. Uh, you know, that's all he did. He lived pre eight football and he was, <laughs> but just one of the most incredible people you could meet in this game of football, especially now where there's a lot of egos and uh, politics. He, he was never that type of guy. So I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit, um, but yeah, a terribly sad day, you know, um, it's just, it's tough news, man. I know there's going to be a lot of guys that feel the same way I do. And uh, this, uh, this one's going to hurt for a while. Oh man, that is, uh, that's very sad news. Um uh, and of course, to bring it back to uh, meager football talk, he is responsible then for that massive choice of Rodgers with Favre there and all of that. And now it brings us all these years later to the same basic situation with Rodgers uh, in his final days with uh, with the kid looming over his shoulder. Football moves on. We appreciate all of your uh, time today, TJ. Enjoy the weekend, man. I'm with you. May the football gods hear your words and deliver Super Bowl one redo for us. And maybe Devontae Adams can do a little Max McGee magic. I don't think we talk nearly enough about what Max McGee did. Yeah, because that was he 50 went on years a ago. twister, That's why, Dave. Because he went why. on a twister the eve of the Super Bowl. It's because all on... of us are not born when he played. That's why we don't talk I about him. I wasn't alive either, you creep, but I'm telling you. That's why we don't you that... talk about him. Sorry, Max. That's why we don't talk about you. I think it's pretty should. good. Do you know that, TJ? He went on a twister the night of the Super Bowl. The night, the eve of the Super Bowl, he goes out. It's like, oh, yeah, Boy Dowler can't play. You're in, Max McGee. He's like, I'm hungover. I don't know where I am. Then he catches two touchdown passes. That's all. That's the greatest. That, that's the greatest. Yeah, I, I think I've heard that story. Right. My <laughs> go ahead. Go. My grandpa used to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> right, you want to talk about Chris Osgood? Because I'll do that, too. Oh, don't you dare. That's blasphemy. Don't you talk about Osgood. There's one guy that deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's him. <laughs> Wearing that dumb mask when everybody else got the cool mask. No, no, I'm still going with the cage. I'm going the old one. Hossix, Dominic Hossix, Max, or uh, Chris Osgood. They were both really, really old school. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. The, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with the flower, Mark Andre Fleury, who who raised that shoulder to block away the the final shot. Nick Lindstrom shot and and uh, on the way to glory, and then '87 got the cup, and the rest is history. Then we won a couple more since then. I don't know whatever became of the win. Yeah, Fleury will go down as one of the all time great uh, Vegas. Um, Golden Knights for sure. He really turned his career around when he got to Vegas. Wait a second, we're really we're rolling. We, we might we're gonna have to get uh, TJ on the line for spaghetti and meatballs in the off season. That's our new hockey segment, TJ. I think Flurry was gonna retire a, a Golden Knight from what I heard. Um, yeah, he might. He 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 still might. All right, listen. Good decision. You go. 
we appreciate all the time, TJ. Let's uh, let's hope to kibitz again um, sooner rather than later. And uh, like I say, enjoy the final really great football Sunday in a long time. Yes. For a long, long time. I like them, Schwartz. TJ is fantastic. Right. I'm telling you, Schwartz, this is my dream. I, I, well, it's your dream, and I want to help uh, try to see if we can make it a reality. You and all your pals, I don't care, Ramon Foster, uh, Willie Colon, we could get TJ, we'll get Ross Tucker. I love the idea of offensive linemen talking about football. You provide a specific uh, point of view on things, and it's the one thing as we've talked about ad nauseum. It's the blind spot for football fans. We don't really know. We like to think we know. I love these. I love the Hall of Fame um, uh, period in in on the sports calendar because everybody, all sports fans, get up or football fans get up on the stand to to pound the table for a guy that they have no idea what he does. Like they, I, I, myself included. Like Alan Fanica's not in the Hall of Fame. Outrageous! Like what 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 was it about him that really wowed you? What? What did what did you did, did you like how he could uh, anchor? Like, I mean, like what, what what do you know about it? You don't know anything. You know what <laughs> Jeff Schwartz and people like that have told you is great yes. about them. Nobody yes. knows. Nobody knows. Um, but uh, yeah, he's great. We got to get you guys uh, like watching games next football season or something, right? Let's do it. All right, all right. Let's uh, you go, Schwartz, because guess what? It's time, everybody, for episode two. Here comes some hot hockey talk. Spaghetti and meatballs. All right, time for another edition of Spaghetti and Meatballs. Eddie Spaghetti here with Michael Sicoli. I guess last week went pretty well, and they wanted us to do it again, so we'll keep at this. But we are now joined with Dave Damashek, the host of Minus 3 Podcast. You're goddamn and- right I'm joining it, but pretend you- I'm not here. I'm Now I've been assigned to watch it. I'm like the foreman. Yeah. I'm going to sit off in the corner and just review, but I don't want you to let it impact your performance. Review it. Take it away. Talk about the Patrick division. Is that what it's called? It's we're the Mass Mutual East division, now. which is uh, it's as bad as it gets. I mean, there's the Honda West, which is, I guess, more of a, a nationally recognized name. We couldn't get a, a better one, but we'll, we'll keep the, the, the Penguins slanted to a minimum. Although the Rangers are playing the Penguins Friday, which I am very excited for. That game has a little extra juice uh, for us. A lot of stuff to get into. The, the week that has gone by since we last recorded, a lot of craziness. The Capitals COVID stuff is definitely the top thing to, to talk about. It's not a good look for that team. Team and Ovechkin came out with a statement saying that uh, he should not have partied or sat in a room and been social with his teammates. They, uh, it was him and three or four other guys that are now in the protocol there. So we just don't don't want to see that. Let's let's get into our the my Rangers, your Islanders. The Devils unfortunately took a game from the Rangers, which that's it. Get- Wait, hold on. I'm sorry, I said I wasn't going to talk, but I'm going to talk. All you did was you just mention it. What do you no, think? We're gonna, I'm, I'm hitting off the topics and then I'm going to introduce bad, Wait, so it's a bad look? Well, I think, yeah, it's a bad look because you don't yeah, want to. I agree. It stinks. And they better not have passed it on to the Penguins while they were knocking around Pittsburgh with their poison on them. Well, the reason why I think it's a bad look is because if you assume they're following the proper protocols, and obviously Michael stepped in and told me I'm wrong, but if, if they're following the proper protocols and they're getting, you know, they're, they're violating the rules, it has to mean that they were in the same room as somebody not on the team because these guys are sitting on the bench together in the locker room together. So who else came into their, you know, room or rooms 
that were not part of the Capitals organization, that were not tested constantly. So I think they, they brought in someone else, which obviously is the problem. So I don't know if that's been confirmed yet, but it, to me, it seems like that's the only likely option. Yeah, I think it relates to last year, too, um, when they're with their bubble exit. It, there were rumors that a lot of guys were just disinterested, didn't care, didn't want to be there. So I think, you know, it's kind of carried over to this year, maybe. And they don't get that straightened out. That, that could be that could be really bad. And they already canceled the games with the Hurricanes. So, I mean, in a shortened season already with the schedule the way it is, you definitely don't want to, to hit any road runs of, of blocking out games or postponing games, creating a mess and pushing the playoffs back even further. But, I mean, for me and for you and for Dave, if the Capitals now are dealing with this mess for the whole season, selfishly, it's a great thing because that's a team to worry about is one extra playoff spot that one of these teams could sneak into. Uh, most people think the Capitals are near the top of, the, of uh, the, the mass mutual East. So, I mean, that's that's something that we're monitoring to see if they can bounce back from this. But as a Rangers fan, I am quite thrilled with their stupidity. If they're breaking all these violations, then it's, it's, it's great for the Rangers. I did want to get off my chest that I just hate the way David Quinn's been coaching. David Quinn is a, you know, Boston university college coach. He's in that mindset of let's develop guys. If you mess up a a shift, he's going to not play you the rest of the period. He's going to make you learn your lesson. I think that works in college when you're 18, 19 years old. I think when you're a multimillionaire NHL player, that does not work. When you have years on your belt in the NHL and you're being told by a guy that you're not going to play the second period because of you didn't back check properly or whatever, that's, I mean, I, I'm getting pretty frustrated. And it's actually something you said in the last one we did where you loved, what you loved about the Islanders team was their third and fourth lines that you, they could roll out and they're going to make an impact. The Rangers can't seem to, you know, have a steady third and fourth line group there. I know right today in practice, they're, they're trying to figure out those the bottom six but when you're not going to get any chemistry by by sitting guys and replacing them during these games it's just a recipe for you know bad bad times uh and i hate that he's doing that even with the goalies too pulling georgie evan putting back in shesterkin for the game versus the, versus the devils and it, it's just right now early in the way let these guys in this weird offseason work out the kinks uh let them get a little bit of chemistry especially with all these young players with Hedl and Busnevich and uh Lafreniere and Kako you got to let these guys just work out together um so that they can mix in well with Kreider and Zibanejad and Panarin it's just a, it's a total mess so i am not thrilled with the Rangers forwards the defense is okay the defense is fine and the the goalie situation is okay i would like to see them start more than two games in a row cuz they have not done that either goalie um but right now uh, only 3 games in with a, a huge game coming up for for the Rangers and the Penguins on Friday. That's that's kind of where my mindset is. That's my little one week report of the Rangers and uh, how I feel for your your Islanders with Varlamov. Uh, well, you know, let, let's hear Mike's review of the Islanders, and don't forget to mention uh, the third leg of the tri-state um, tripod there, the Devils with Jack Hughes I, looking. Uh, I was trying to push by the Devils. Jack Hughes signs of life, and I liked the, his line mate there. We were talking about before we got going there, Miles Wood. I like him. He's got a little bit of a Tom Wilson vibe, as far as I'm concerned there. But Mike, talk about the aisle. Well, first off, too, I want to say the ice at MSG. I don't know what's going on there. It is. It looks awful. Do you guys think the same thing? Like just skating on the ice. Author, I feel right? like it just looks like they're skating on a half frozen pond. I don't know if anyone else noticed that, but I didn't read anything. I haven't seen anything about that. I, I, that I, that's one thing me, my brothers and some of my friends were, <laughs> were noticing when we were watching. It just looked like guys were falling all over. The puck was, you know, bouncing around a little too much, but that's one thing I picked up on. Uh, in terms of the Islanders, um, you know, I think 
they got to straighten some things out. They do. They're playing hard, but their power play is just a mess right now. Um, I wish it was like football where we could just almost decline a, a power play and just play five on five because yeah. the other teams just seem to get chances too many times and we can't get, you know, we just can't create space for Barzell or, you know, guys like Nelson. And it just, it creates too much, you know, difficulty between the, you know, there's no chemistry, there's no flow on the power play. It doesn't seem like it's just too much skating, not enough shooting. I know it's part of Trotz's, uh, you know, style, you know, more better shots rather than more shots. So uh, I, I really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and lost, I lost for words on the, on their power play. That, that's really got to change. And I think it's because what I was saying about it's just about chemistry early on in the season in a weird off season, get these guys playing together and get them. So cohesiveness, which is like, there's just, there's two reactionary, two reactionary, too much of like a prisoner of the moment mentality this early in the season. And it's, it's, uh, you know, you don't want that with, especially with a younger team. And I think that the, that it goes both ways for the Islanders too. And the same thing, it's like, you have a younger team mixing with some veterans, some proven guys who could score. And it's like, if you're going to keep swapping out pieces and parts and try to figure out what works three, four games in it's, it's, you know, it's not a full season on an 82 game schedule, but there's still time to figure stuff out, especially when you're playing these same teams over and over and over again, you will kind right. of figure out their, their little uh, ins and outs. Dave did bring up the devils and devil discord power play goals on the Rangers. Jack Hughes, I was looking at Fandle before, Fandle.com slash minus three to make all your NHL bets to see if his odds, you know, change at all from his, his recent stretch. Going to the draft, the Kako versus Hughes draft, I was like, you know what? Either way, it's going to be fine. It's going to work out. Kako had more of the size, uh, you know, would play the wing. I liked him uh, for certain aspects. Obviously, Hughes being the center, center is a premium position, something you want more. But he was a you know a slight guy last year, and they just kept talking about now he had it on like 14 pounds of muscle. He's become this this all around great player. And his first goal versus the Rangers was kind of whatever. It just fell behind Georgiev, and he kind of just tapped it in. Anyone could have done that, but then he you know turned it on from there. And obviously he was uh, had a few assists in the, the the prior games before the game versus the Rangers. Uh, he looks like he's the truth. He's going to be something else, and he's going to be someone that the Rangers are going to hate that they did not get the first pick last year uh, or two years ago rather to get uh, him instead of Kako, who has been in David Quinn's doghouse for whatever reason, despite him playing pretty well. So I think, uh, and I'm sure, Michael, you'd agree with me that Hughes is going to be, maybe it's not him versus Kako anymore. Maybe it's him versus Lafreniere as the potential face of uh, of, of the, these uh, this division and these uh, tri-area teams. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, I think he's got six points already, which, yep. is, which is pretty ridiculous. Right behind Stone for the league lead, yeah. Yeah. The only thing I'll, I'll I'll throw in to go back to where you started there, Spaghetti, with the approach that they're taking with the young guys and in, uh, in the blue shirts, it's a funny thing. Trotz is great, and he's had his success with some you know high pedigree guys, obviously too. But I think he's kind of ideal if you lack that, you bring him in and he can install a system. I'm inclined to go. You know, grew up watching those those Oilers teams, and the and then obviously embracing the the Pittsburgh Penguins that that j- they just overwhelm you in terms of skill. And I kind of appreciate that. I like that, but the so you but you don't want um, this early on in their careers of the uh, of the young core that the Rangers have. You don't want them getting too loose and being irresponsible in their own end. Somebody has to impose that sense and, and and what the minimum standard is for that for those guys early on. I also like the old Jack Nicholas thing of like if your kid's starting to play golf, 
let him t- figure let him figure out how to hit it as far as he can then worry about controlling it and keeping it in the fairway mm-hmm. i hear what you're saying like these guys are high-end talents and it's a pedigree league the right. teams that win the cup more often than not are the ones that have the unstoppable stars on them and you guys are positioned to do that but trots can get those islanders as he already has to knuckle their way past more talented teams. It's the balance of that. I'm, it's interesting, though. I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea for somebody to be around those young guys and not let them get so loose early in their career where they're uh, irresponsible in the defensive zone. And Lindy Ruff, former Rangers assistant, now former Sabres coach, now coaching the Devils, I believe, I'm not sure if he ended up as the top ice time for a forward, but Jack Hughes was on the ice constantly versus the Rangers, and that's what you should be doing. And I understand that, you know, if you look on FanDuel Lodge, the Devils were slightly below the the Rangers and the Islanders and, and the Penguins for to win the division. You're only gonna get you're only gonna go as far as your best players, and they know, okay, he's our best player, we're gonna put him on the ice. The Rangers trying to win this game with Brendan Lemieux on the ice at the end of it. You're not going to win with guys like that. And that's been my biggest bugaboo. Obviously, a lot of Rangers fans are going crazy about how bad Jack Johnson is. I mean, he's he's miserable. And they, they benched Tony D'Angelo, who, for what reasons, I don't know, maybe it's political beliefs. But the guy could score. The, he can move the puck around. Uh, Puck-moving defensemen don't grow on trees. Jack Johnson's trash. Like, just, I mean, he should not be on the ice for the Rangers. So, I mean, if you're a Devils fan and you're an Islanders fan, you guys, you, you should love, and a Penguins fan, you should love this because they're, I think, right now, they're down a bad path. That's, like, I don't like to give Devils credit, but what Lenny Ruff is doing is smart. He knows his team is young and they're learning, and he's going to play his best players the most. All right, let's wrap it up here. You, 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 uh, you get it done here. Um, and then we'll wrap the show. We we're, we're looking at a two hour minus three here. Yeah, this is a this is a beast of a show today. Yeah, I for the game uh, versus the the Penguins Friday. I need to see a lot of changes. I need to see the the they're mixing up the lines. I think they're going to mix around the Lafreniere with Zibanejad, who's luckily not as injured as previously reported. It looks like Shesterkin's in net, which is good because if he's going to be your guy, he's your one A. You're going to have to play him a lot. You know, you can't play him equal time as. Georgiev, and I, I will say the bright spot has, you know, out of all the young guys in the Rangers, it's not been Lafreniere or Kako. It actually has been Condre Miller on defense, uh, you know, from Wisconsin. He's, you know, a six foot five behemoth of a defenseman. He's everything you possibly want. Coaches are in love with him. He's awesome to watch. Uh, him and Adam Fox who have been awesome. Adam Fox's breakout passes have been just a uh, beautiful thing. So I think if the Rangers do, pull this one off first your penguins it's going to be by the strength of the defense because right now the offense is just very um they haven't really figured out besides that that one explosion versus the islanders yeah and i think uh the islanders now play uh the devils twice in a row um Mm -hmm. so i think i I think they'll probably be low rather low scoring hopefully uh i mean yeah he'll be in that i think until they play uh, a Mm back-to-back i don't think we'll see sorokin again until there's a back-to-back games but um, Adam Pellick, Ryan Pulak, I think those guys will lock down. You know, guys like Hughes, uh, Sharon Govich, Wood. I, I don't, I don't know how. Like the younger guys, I, I usually have some some trouble playing against guys like Pellick, who are just. I, in terms of pure defensemen, Pellick is one of the best in the league. He just he locks down whoever whoever you put him on. It's it's hard to it's hard to do anything against him. But um, I, I'm hoping as long as we can just get more shots on net on the power play and, you know, find, you know, a couple more deflections from Anders Lee or, you know, Peugeot had a nice one the other day. I think we'll mm-hmm. be all right. I, there's some changes. I know Bailey is out for today, at least I think on a COVID list. I don't know 
what the story is with that. I don't know if he tested positive or it's just false positive. We'll have to wait and see. But I think Bellows will be on that second line, which is interesting. And I think, not too thrilled about, but Komarov and Del Cole are playing with Peugeot on the third line. So, um, you know, maybe Peugeot gets some extra penalty, uh, power play minutes or maybe he'll get a bump up instead of Bellows, you know, just to shuffle it up a little bit. But that third line, it's going to need uh, – it was getting a lot of hate from with Johnson, Bellows, Peugeot, but they weren't getting a lot of ice time. So I, I, don't, I don't think they were necessarily bad. But um, I think sooner or later, hopefully we see Bellows, Wallstrom, Peugeot on that third line, and they really increase the uh, offense production for them. So oh, March Madness is right around the corner. NBA, the draft, free agency, and football. The, the sports calendar never stops. Mike, good stuff from you. Mr. Meatballs, Eddie Spaghetti, great stuff from you. Thanks to TJ for joining us. Make sure you follow him on all social media and especially a good follow right now, obviously, with the Packers game. Nye and, of course, Jeff Schwartz with his brother playing an arrowhead. Make sure you do that. And what I what you really got to be sure you do, bet it all, fanduel.com, slash minus three, the word minus, the number three. Ride with us with the home favorites. I think you'll be glad you did. And we'll keep this with you after those title games. And in front of the Super Bowl and all things NHL, NCAA, NBA, and beyond. Until then, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven.